you guys know how easily distracted I am. I think if we had tambourines and maracas and other things going on all service, I would be a basket case. Um, hey, Perry, I was actually impressed with everybody's rhythm. It, it was surprisingly together. I think you, Greg, you have um, some competition. Cool. Um, David, were you over there setting the, the, the tempo pretty well? You were just following. So David was in here during rehearsal. And, and I don't know what happened to the video, by the way. Um, Michael, I, 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 I'm going to uh, editorialize for just a minute. Y'all, y'all indulge me. Um, y'all always do. Um, nobody's ever rushed the stage and said, stop, Matt, anyhow. So um, I want to point out, number one, Perry. I wasn't going to do this, but Perry, I, I am going to say a couple things. Perry has been working relentlessly since COVID-19 hit, um, and we've been in Facebook Live especially. We have had a ton of adjustments, and if you ask any pastor around, they talk about those very things. That's, that's kind of it going on in the blogs with pastors. They're, they're, um, there's lots of sites about how to help guys, um, but Perry especially jumped in, and we've done a ton of things for Facebook Live. But part of that team of people, that's, it's not just Perry, there's been an entire team back there that works relentlessly as well. And I, I want to identify two people. Michael, you stood up just in time. Wave at everybody. Um, Michael, I think he, his wife is Maya. I think he just wanted to stand there in awe and watch his wife for a couple minutes. Is that right, Michael? Always. Good answer, man. <laughs> so we rehearse. Um, everything went well in rehearsal like three or four times. And then... I don't know what happened, Maya. You handled it great. Not me, David. Yeah, and they, whatever happened, they got it working, so we're, we're grateful. Um, kids, y'all did a great job re uh, responding this morning. I, I love the instruments uh, and adults. Thanks for clapping along and, and singing with that. It was a, a great experience. Um, David Steinquest, great piano playing this morning, man. You had some technical stuff, and I just appreciate you serving in that capacity. Greg, Marshall, um, we've, we've got tremendous instrumentalists in our church, and we, we need to be thankful for them. And then especially Billy, uh, Olivia, Daniel, Genevieve are back there this morning. Thanks for all y'all are doing. They're here on rehearsals on Thursday nights for a couple of hours, and then they're here early on Sundays. Uh, and it's not just that team. Mallory uh, Gachins is producing as well as Michael Campbell. They've taken on a huge leap of responsibility. And we're still looking for somebody else to do that because two people is not enough in that regard. We need somebody that would just come in and say, hey, I'm going to make sure to like manage things for the morning. It's, it's, they're getting it down to the science. It's not a difficult thing, but it, it's, I'm going to say this from Perry, Steve, Dan, uh, Dan, my perspective, when you're leading on stage and you're thinking about everything that goes on the booth, um, it is hard to, to, to jump back and forth. And there's been lots of Sundays where I'll sit down here and go, oh gosh, I got to go back there and, and try to handle something. And, or in the morning before, th hand, uh, before things start. And it is tough. And since we've had these producers especially step into this role, I think Perry and, and Steve, you guys would echo this. It's been a load off of us to focus in on spiritual things on Sunday mornings instead of all of the, the management of things. And so it's an essential role. So Michael and Mallory, I especially want to say thank you for how you guys have stepped up. You've, you've been burning the candle uh, at the both ends a little bit, being the only two, but you guys have been very faithful. And, and not only in the work itself, but you're thinking, how can we make this easy for other people to do this? So uh, talk to them if you're at all interested in, in stepping in a ministry area or Perry about that uh, producer role. We really need one more person to do that. And it's not a difficult thing, but it's an essential thing for us. Um, 
this morning, we're starting a new series. They'll get the logo on here in just a minute. I'm excited about this. Um, this stems, I think, from a couple things that the Lord's been doing uh, in my life personally, but I think also in, in the corporate life of our church for some months now. And especially uh, the elders, we've been able to come together and talk about some of the things that God is doing in our church. And this, this morning, what I'm doing is kind of setting the stage, I hope, for what we'll do in, in several weeks. So um, the, the, the real idea of this is to talk about us as a church body. So it's, it's yes, it's, it's identity, but it's identity is who we are in Christ, but also as identity of who we are as a church in Christ. And so I, I don't want you to think that this is only just about you personally this morning, because this is about us corporately. And I believe that the Lord is going to do some incredible things in, in our uh, church life as we uh, walk through this series, because I think there's really some in-depth things to, to who we are um, and when I say this, don't, don't get bored with it. Don't, don't think, oh gosh, this is going to be drudgery because it's really exciting stuff. But, but in like the Constitution and bylaws, how our church was formed, I think that the, it's, the Lord is actually leading us to make some, some tweaks in, in who we are as a church that are right. And, and so some of this is, is birthed out of conversations that we've been having for years in our elder body. Some of it's coming directly out of some of the things that I've read in, in the last seminar that I had on ecclesiology. Um, and, and, and so it's interesting how the Lord is using the, this work that I'm doing in school to, to shape and, and, and challenge who we are. So uh, we've been trying to read books and uh, not just me personally in the class, but us as elders coming forward and, and, and uh, challenging one another's thoughts because we want you as a church body to experience the best that God has for us as the Grove Church, this local body. And I think we have been to, to where we are so far. But have any of us arrived? If you raise your hand, you should put it down because none of us have arrived with where God wants us to be. And so we, we need to be thinking about these things carefully. We need to be uh, dialoguing about these things. We need to be challenging one another about these things. But more importantly than even the challenging side of it, I think we need to be coming together as a church body and encouraging one another. So, so let me tip uh, youth ministry a little bit. I've sent it, I think we sent an email out to the parents about this. Um, but youth, I want you to hear this. We, we in our Constitution and bylaws talk about membership. Um, and when we, most of you as adults, when you come, came to the church, we said, you said, hey, we're ready to join. What we typically do is take one or two elders and we go and sit at your home or we have a class here, maybe, depends on circumstances, but we go over those things. Now, students, all, all of my youth, I saw tons of hands across the, the room uh, when, when uh, I think it was Steve asked that. Um, I know one of the important things that we're going to be talking about on Wednesday nights is going to be about membership, because you as youth, starting at age 13, you can become a member. Now, we're going to probably make some allowances for that if you're like 12, going into your 13th year, starting middle school, but at 16, you can become a voting member of our church. And so we have intentionally done, uh, like looked at those things in our history and how we apply those, but this starting in, in uh, September, basically, we're going to be doing membership for you guys on Wednesday nights, and that's going to be an exciting time for you. Don't think it's going to be boring. You're going to get the basics of things, and it's going to be really important foundational truths, and what it's going to ultimately do, and this is my prayer, my hope, it's going to change how you live in relationship to our church, okay? Because we have some really unique things about our church that I, I think are special, and I think they're right, and, and parents, I want to really encourage you about this. When your student gets to be in fifth grade, they can become a model student for other children. They can start ministering 
to younger people, okay? And so we've intentionalized that. And so especially in 6th and 7th grade, when you hit that 13-year-old mark, you can start doing things like teaching. You, you can become a leader in our church and a minister in our church. And that's very exciting to me because I think a lot of people look and say, well, they don't have the skills, they don't have the gifts, they don't have the capabilities. If you are a follower of Christ, he, the Holy Spirit's given you gifts. You have talents as well that are just waiting to be developed. And we want to develop you because I think if we do that now, then you find out your value for the church and how ministry's done so that your entire life, however long the Lord tarries, if he does, and you get to live to be uh, old and decrepit like me or my father-in-law over here, uh, cheap shot, dad. Um, no, you're not decrepit. He just hiked 40 miles in Alaska, okay? So I'm not about to take that on in my condition. So dad, kudos for that, okay? Um, so I'm just picking. So you, but when you get to be older, you get to minister. And I'm going to say this about my father-in-law. He is an elder in his church and very active in ministry. And that is a, a, a model to me that he's not retired and just said, no, I'm not doing anything. He is staying involved. And that honestly, you guys have heard me talk about him before. I really respect that about him because it's setting a good example for me and my family and how I want us to be constantly invested in, in church life. And I know how he serves and he is a, a man of great integrity. And I'm not just saying that because he's here. Okay, that's a good excuse for me to say, that's how we want to do ministry, okay? I wish y'all knew him as well as I did. It's a, it's a great example. But guess what? Students, that's where we want to be because who we are in Christ is that. Now, uh, or, or we're called to that. Now, let me say this. Um, I'm going to jump into the message now, okay? All that's like set up for, for today um, and, and where we're going to be going in some, some weeks ahead. Uh, how many of you have ever moved in your lives, changed houses? Most of you in here. Okay, I, I moved a bunch when I was young. My dad had a job that moved us up and down the eastern seaboard. So by the time I was in fifth grade, I'd been in five different schools. He wasn't, we weren't military, but we just moved a time. And I remember um, living in Baltimore, Maryland. I was in kindergarten and, and one day of first grade. I don't know why I went to one day. I guess I was required by law to go to one day of first grade. But this, the second day of first grade, we moved from Maryland to Marietta, Georgia, okay? So outside of Baltimore, Maryland. I remember this very vividly about, I have lots of good memories of Baltimore, but the, there's a couple things that I really remember. Um, one is we woke up a couple days before Christmas and our uh, house had been broken into. We had a, in our den a sliding glass door that had a little concrete porch and it had snowed. And I remember waking up and the police were in our house and I was concerned about Christmas gifts. And I remember my dad's briefcase got stolen and they could follow the, the, the burglar's footprints through the snow, but then he was gone by the time everything was found out. Because I'm old and this is way before central alarms, you know, and I'm monitoring alarms. All of you students out there, they go, why did an alarm go off? We didn't have them back then, okay? So I remember that very vividly right before that Christmas. The other thing I remember is I had a G.I. Joe action figure. Perry, you with me on that? G.I. Joe action figure. Billy, you had one? Anybody else? Steve Pelt, did you have one? Frank, you did? Okay. So you guys remember how cool those were, right? I remember being, what, first, second, or first grade, kindergarten, first grade, five, six, okay? And packing up to move, and we put all of our belongings into the big, huge, you know, uh, moving truck that on the 18-wheeler kind of container. And watching my G.I. Joe get loaded into the toy box of things, getting to Marietta, 
and never finding my G.I. Joe action figure. To this day, I wonder where my G.I. Joe action figure is. I have to confess this too in front of my wife and in-laws. My wedding band, I was playing baseball one day, and it was cold outside in the spring, and I had, it was catching in a catcher's mitt, I think is where I lost it, but I've lost my original wedding band. And I remember, Katie will vouch for me, I was obsessing, I, everywhere I would go, I would, I would like walk into the church and I would look under the cross, because I'm like, it could be under there. I just spent every like waking second, where obsessing, where is my ring? So Katie finally said, just go buy a cheap ring. So this is actually my third ring because the really cheap ring got torn up really quick because I just needed to stop obsessing about it. Then we went and got me a, a decent ring. Um, but here, so here's my point. Have, have, has anybody ever lost anything in your move? Yeah. Y'all remember what it was? Eli, what'd you lose, lose in your move? Oh, you've never moved. What do you, you just want to raise your hand. You, okay, that's all right. Has anybody ever lost anything that you like my, your ring precious to you and you obsess and look for it everywhere? You, am I the only one? Okay, some of y'all are out there with me, okay? Now, now here's, here's the thing, okay? And then we'll move into the, the scripture. Temporal things, right? My G.I. Joe, Christmas presents, even, even my ring. Those are valuable things and those are blessings. I mean, for a little kid, my G.I. Joe action figure, it was amazing to me. Did I miss it? Yeah, I missed it, right? But has my life been scarred because of that G.I. Joe action figure being lost? Evidently, right? So, not to the point that I can't function healthily, I think. Um, maybe, maybe I need to see some people afterwards. Some, some, some of the guys are nodding. Yes, you do. Um, I probably knew that before coming into today. Um, but, but the truth is, right, all of us have lost something. And yes, it's disappointing. Those blessings are, are tremendous to us. I mean, we've talked lately about things like how many cars we've been through. It's like, well, praise God we've had the ability to get into the cars, even though it's been frustrating. But all of those things, I think sometimes don't we live for the temporal? Don't we live for the here and now? And those things, when we're, they're lost or, or something happens, they're destroyed, don't we get upset? And, and we get so focused. And you hear me say, I, I get obsessive looking for the ring. Or, yeah, I, I probably was obsessive about my G.I. Joe action figure back then. I don't remember it. But, you know, it's, it's those kind of things. We, we live for those temporal moments. But here's the thing. God has not called us to live for the temporal. And, and, and I'm going to put this in context of COVID-19 especially. I think if we're living for the temporal, COVID-19 and all the quarantine and all the things that are happening to us in culture and society right now can really derail us. We have, I think, at any point in, in our history, at least my history, this is a period for me to, to really remember who I am in Christ, what my identity is spiritually far and beyond the, the physical, tangible things of this earth. And when we gather as believers together in a church, what we ought to be doing is encouraging one another all the more about who we are in Christ. Instead of focusing in on all the temporal, tangible things. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to set this up, this entire series up, about who we are 
in Christ. Okay? So that we, when we come together, we're going, remember, this is what we ought to be about. These eternal spiritual things are who we're called to be. So take your Bibles, and I know y'all are going to go, Matt, you, t- you teach out of Ephesians tons. But yeah, no apologies, it's God's Word. Okay, so turn to Ephesians chapter 1, and and I'm going to use this as a springboard into a couple things. We're not going to read a lot, but this is going to give us some good insight into who we are in Christ. So we're going to be reading Ephesians 1, 1 through 6. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. Now, if you write in your Bible, I would encourage you to underline a couple words here, and I'll try to highlight them as we go. To the saints, underline saints who were in Ephesus, and I would also underline faithful, okay, in Christ Jesus, and underline in Christ Jesus. So, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen to this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the key for this morning. Who has blessed us in Christ. Now, I would underline in Christ again. With every spiritual blessing, you can underline that, every spiritual blessing, and then where? In the heavenly places, okay? So let me back up. I kind of feel like this is a little jaunted reading. Let me back up and get it all in context. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. You can underline that in the beloved again. So I want to highlight three things out of this text in Ephesians 1. The first is this, that we are called, or first that there's this covenant of grace that is depicted. As Perry walked off the stage, as Maya was coming in, um, I, I told him, Perry, thank you so much. The, the, the music, the worship, the songs this morning, and their lyrical content really played into these thoughts well. The covenant of grace. I want to give you a, a definition of, of the covenant of grace. It is the free decision of promise initiated and completed by God. Now, I'm going to give you a little more than that, okay? But I want you to think about this. It is the free promise, a free decision, okay, that God has made of promise, initiated and completed by Him as He employs all of His wisdom, authority, and love to rescue people from the penalty of sin while removing the guilt and shame that sin brings to us. That's a simple definition. It's not like God's riches at Christ's expense. I think you've heard that before. I, I like that in some ways. There's other ways I, I don't like that. But, but what struck me as I was thinking about this is the, the promise that it's a free act of God that He has promised. He initiates and He completes. And, and it's to redeem and rescue people from the, the penalty of sin and the guilt and shame of sin. So when you think about these saints, the the church that is being addressed by Paul, they they have experienced the covenant of grace. They're not experiencing the guilt and shame of sin in Christ anymore. 
They're, they're finding freedom. They're finding renewal. They're, they're finding a restoration of what was destroyed by sin in the fall. And now the promise of, of something greater in Christ is theirs. And, and that identity is changing them. And, and so we could look at things like um, this, uh, this, lots of the music that we sang this morning is talking about this, this idea of the great grace of God, how he is faithful to us. How his, new, his mercies are new every morning. That's what this church is experiencing. That's who we are. Because I don't think it's just a, a, a message for the, the saints in Ephesus at that time. It also transcends to us today. And we're going to look at some of those concepts in a minute. So that's the, the first idea. So remember that this is all based in the covenant of grace. Um, and I want to say this. If you continue to read through Ephesians, and we don't have time to unpack this this morning, but uh, Ephesians 1 through 13, it unpacks and Paul describes every member of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and their roles in our salvation and in the covenant of grace. And we sang it this morning that the Holy Spirit seals us until the day of redemption. There's so many rich promises in this that, that I would just encourage you, go back and look at this passage again. And remember who you are if you have a, this salvation in Christ and that covenant of grace is yours. The second term that I would want to direct us to is this, that uh, Paul addresses to the saints. And he goes on and says they're, they're also faithful in Christ Jesus. I think those two words uh, play together. But what I want to talk about for just a minute, and we're going to look at this later because uh, Peter also addresses this idea of holy priest uh, and, and those kind of things, that what we are saints. Because of the covenant of grace, we are given a new nature. And, and you can go through and look at tons of scripture about that in uh, Deuteronomy and Jeremiah, uh, all these, these verses that, there that give us promises about this new nature. But I, but I want to describe this for just a minute, okay? Because when we're talking about the title of our series, Identity, we need to recognize that who we are in Christ, it changes who we were apart from Christ. And this is, I think, especially important for where we are in our era of contemporary culture, okay? Because we talk as a church about, remember our values, that we are about God's glory, relationships, opportunities, and then the V is what? Does anybody remember? Vibrant, which means this, that we are having to look at how we relate into a culture that is always shifting and moving, okay? That, that it doesn't mean that the truth changes, but we change how we have to respond with a biblical worldview to a world that is constantly changing. And, and I'm not going to get into the politics of this necessarily this morning, but I want to give you a warning and give you a biblical worldview with the warning, okay? How many of you have heard uh, about Biden's uh, nomination for running mate this, this week? Kamala Harris, right? Um, if you know anything about her, she has some beliefs that I believe are very deeply in conflict with biblical worldview. And in the political world, there is this uh, shaping of thought towards identity politics. How many of you are paying attention to what identity politics is? Okay. Dad, are you? A little bit? Okay. So some of you are starting to see this. So bring, bring our title in, okay, to identity and then this concept of identity politics. Essentially, here's a, a basic definition of what identity politics does. It takes anything about a person that is different 
And it says, how many differences can we compound onto that person that described them? The more identity aspects they have, the more value they have. Okay, so it's kind of taking a position that uh, if you're minority, if you have differences, all these things are to your benefit. So if you don't have a lot of those things, you're kind of pushed into a little corner and you're not as valuable. Biblical worldview for just a moment, okay? Where do we stand in a biblical worldview as all of humanity? We are all descendants of Adam and Eve, okay? So so there's not really a distinction, if you will. Yes, there are. I get that. But if we go back to the core and the fundamental biblical worldview, all of us are equal because, number one, how are we created? In the image of God. So it's not about distinction. It's about unity and how every one of us is created with value because we are image bearers. Imago Dei. We have the image of God about us. We're all creative. We have all these kind of things about us that reflect God. So we shouldn't be making the most of distinctions. We ought to say every person has value. And every person also wrestles with what? Sin. Because we are descendants of Adam and Eve. So a biblical lens comes in and looks at this identity politics and would say, that's not the the solution. That's not the answer. The solution for us is to understand that we are created in God's image, that we're all sinners, and we all have a need for Christ because Christ is the only one that brings hope to us. It's simple, but, but here's the rub, okay? The world says our identity is going to be defined by world standards, We have, ought to, as Christians, have a biblical worldview that says we're defining things by God's standards. And folks, if we don't understand what God's standard is by going to the Word and having a good theology of who we are in Christ and who we are as the church, then we won't have a reason for the hope that we profess. So we need to have a good reason. We need to have a good apologetic. We need to understand who we are in Christ and who we are as a church. And we as a church need to operate in such a way that we help, see, help people see this healthy biblical worldview. Now, I know that's a little bit of a polit- political stance, but I hope it's a Christian stance that we say we're going to be salt and light. We're not being critical of any one person, but we're cr- being critical of worldviews that stand in contrast to a biblical worldview. And we're going to be people that submit ourselves and surrender ourselves to the authority of Scripture and rightly divide the word of truth and present that hopeful message to people that are created in the image of God that don't know Him but are desperate because their sin has destroyed them or is destroying them. And we want them to understand the hope that Jesus offers. It's that simple and clear. That's what it means for us to be vibrant in a nutshell as a church. And then for our values, just to finish that out, Grove E is everyone. Why everyone? Because everyone's created in the image of God. We're not going to be worried about socioeconomic, gender, race, whatever it is, okay? We're going to love people because they're created in the image of God. Does that make sense? So I think we've got a good handle on these things in in the the, the, um, documents and, if you will, the communication pieces that we have. But at times we need to unpack those and remember the values and what they're for. So 
when we think about saints in, in that sense, I want us to remember that those, those especially two things were created in the image of God and that all of us, because of sin, need Christ. Now third, and this is where it gets really interesting to me, and I'm, I'm going to read uh, some quotes from some guys here in a minute. I hope they'll be encouraging to you because this is part of where when I read Ephesians, I struggle with this, if I'm just being honest, because I think I do wrestle with the temporal, the old G.I. Joe stuff, and then who I am in Christ, okay? Are you all with me? So look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So here's, here's two things I want to give, for you, give you this morning in terms of every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, okay? Positionally in Christ, you have every blessing. What? You don't need to worry about the temporal because it's a spiritual blessing, but in Christ, you have every spiritual blessing you need. I, I, I don't know about you, but my, my head cannot totally get wrapped around that. I, I've been walking with the Lord for 31 years now, okay? And, and I still struggle to understand what every spiritual blessing means. But I, I can assure you, the more I wrestle with it, the more I begin to understand, and the more I can try to live that out in that understanding, okay? And that's what I want to try to unpack a little bit this morning for us. So, uh, and then obviously, these spiritual blessings are where? It's in the heavenly places. Now, that's also like a struggle, how does the heavenly places do me earthly good? Does that make sense? Because my struggle is I get tied up in the temporal things, in, in the G.I. Joes, and, and I want to be more about Christ. So what it means, in, and, and I want you to capture this, this is why I had you underline this again and again, is where are the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places, but how do they come to us? It's because we're in Christ. Okay, because we're in Christ. Everything that we have in Christ is satisfied because Christ satisfies everything. And that's what we're going to un unpack this morning from here forward, okay? So I want you to listen to how uh, a guy named John Gill wrote this. Now, if you don't know who John Gill is, don't worry, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about him. He was a pastor. He was a pastor in England. He pastored at New Park Street Chapel, uh, which if you know anything about uh, Charles Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon pastored at New Park Street Chapel, okay? You guys hear me talk about Spurgeon all the time, um, or a lot. Um, John Gill preceded Charles Spurgeon at New Park Street Chapel, okay? So he was one of those forerunners to Spurgeon. He is a very prolific writer. He wrote great stuff, very uh, well-thought man, and I want you to listen to what he said about spiritual blessings, okay? Because I think this is so good. He says, spiritual blessings are solid, substantial, and lasting blessings. That's not what I think of when I think of them, solid and substantial, right? I feel like they're out there transcendent, and, and I can't really grasp them. But, but John Gill said other, and I think he's right. And that's what I want us to grasp a hold of today. Okay, how are these things substantial? How are they lasting? How are they solid? He says, they concern the good of our soul or the spirit of man. So, especially my students in here, I, I want you to catch this, okay? Because I don't think a lot of people tell you this at your age. 
it's not just about this world. It's not about phones. It's not about who your friends are. It's not about the cool devices. It's not about the next game system. It's not about just hanging out. You have soul spirit issues that I guarantee, how, how many of you students have dealt with something painful in your life? Raise your hands. Okay? Almost every one of you in here. Okay? I get it. When I was 11, 12, 13, I started really dealing with spiritual, soulish, painful things. And if you are dealing with those things at any level, guess what? You need to recognize that the spiritual blessings that you have in Christ are, are, are and will satisfy you. They will answer your needs. But if you don't look to them, guess what? They won't answer your needs. Because the tendency is for us to look at the G.I. Joes, right? You like that, Pete, don't you? Tendency is to go to the wrong things. We need to go back to Jesus, who is the one that satisfies, and the spiritual blessings that are only found in Christ because they are solid and substantial. They concern the good of our soul. Now, let me continue with John Gill's statement. He says, they are agreeable to and desired by a spiritual man. So, so adults and students alike now. See, see, that's what we're really longing for, isn't it? The, the spiritual things. We, we really hope somebody would help us understand those things so we don't just look to the temporal things, to, to the earthly things that, and, that bless us. We're longing for something richer, and God's Word tells us what those things are. And here's the good news. If you are a follower of Christ, this is the promise out of Ephesians 1. Those things are applied to us by the Spirit. They're already ours. They're already there. Every spiritual blessing is present in Christ. So if you're a follower of Christ, you lack nothing spiritually. Whoo! Time out. I lack nothing spiritually? Then why do I struggle? Remember what I said about the saint? They have the new nature, but guess what they struggle with? The old nature. The flesh. And that's our, our struggle is we've got to say, no, I'm not going to live to please the flesh. I'm going to live to please the Spirit. I'm going to honor Christ and who He is in me and what He's provided for me. I'm going to live in that way. Perry talked about it this morning in his passage that he read out of Peter, 1 Peter, that we are living sacrifices. It echoes Romans 12, 1 and 2, that we are to be living sacrifices, that all the time we are to be presenting ourselves as those living sacrifices that are pleasing to God. Our life should be a pleasant-smelling aroma to Him. But that means we say no to the flesh, and we say yes to the spiritual things, and we're constantly in the Word, listening to what the Holy Spirit is driving us to, to, to those blessings that are already ours. So, let's keep going. I want to, because I want to talk to you about these couple things. So first of all, turn over to uh, Hebrews 6, verse 11. This is really interesting. So here, we don't know who the writer of Hebrews is. There's different uh, ideas about who he is. I, it, it, I'm, I have mine. Uh, I'm not so sure it was Paul. Um, if you think it was Paul, we're not at odds. It's just un, uncertain. But I know this. The writer of Hebrews was writing to the church, okay? And he has some very interesting things to say to the church. And in Hebrews 6, he's dealing with a church that's struggling, they're looking to the wrong things to satisfy them. 
And we get to this verse in, in uh, Hebrews 6, verse 11 and 12, is what we're going to read. And he says, and we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So here's, here's the idea, is that if the, the, the writer is saying we ought to have full assurance, full assurance, but, but where do we operate a lot of times? Lots of doubt. But he's saying don't doubt. The way to not doubt is to not be tossed to and fro by all the different doctrines. You need to be people of the word, be imitators of those who have set an example before you so that you can be fully assured of the hope that is before you. So, so we are able to say, I am confident. Now, now remember what Paul described the saints as in Ephesians 1. I alluded to this word. He described them also as faithful in, in God or in the Lord Jesus. Okay? What does faithful mean typically? Shoot some ideas back. What does it typically mean to be faithful? Say it really loud. I can't hear it over there. Long-suffering. Okay, that's good, Eric. Say it again. Unwavering. Did I hear you right, Katie? Yeah, good. Unwavering. Good. Say it again. Reliable. Very good. Okay. Good, good synonyms, good explanations of that. But let me also identify this. If you're going to be unwavering about something or um, give them back to me, long-suffering, Katie, what'd you say again? Unwavering, uh, reliable, okay? Um, Thomas, you said reliable. If you're going to be those about things, do you want to be that about something that is going to be wishy-washy in, in its stability? I'm trying to think of an example. Like, would, would you want to trust, I'll put it in a silly example, would you want to trust a child under 12 to captain a cruise ship? Would, would, would that be something you'd want, I want to faithfully follow that captain where they're leading? <laughs> Even Eli laughed. He like, Eli's like, I'd love to captain it, right? But they don't have the skills, right? So, so here's my point. When Paul describes the saints as faithful in Christ Jesus, okay, it's their response, but it's also in relationship to the one who they're faithful to. You follow me? So it would be ridiculous for us to be faithful to someone who's not worthy of faith. So when we talk about our assurance in Hebrews 6.11, the assurance is who we are in Christ, and, and that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. If we would get into the doctrine of who we are, if we would get into knowing the deeper things of our faith, then our assurance discovers why we should be faithful to the one who is worthy of our assurance. Does that make sense? But how many, here's, I think, my problem. I think it would be the problem of most of us today. We don't know the Lord well enough. Am I right or am I wrong? We, we tend to let doubts come in. And, and so when we doubt, then our faithfulness wavers. Instead of us trusting this God of covenant promise who initiates and fulfills his promises through the work of Christ, and then in that who has given us every spiritual blessing. See how the economy, the chain link starting to come together? 
That's why we should go, oh, if every blessing has been given to me, I need to know these spiritual blessings. I need to know the one who gives them. I need to know how the Spirit works in me and reminds me of these things so that I will continue to exercise faithfulness and find assurance in these things because that's who we are in Christ. So let's look a little further. Go to John 17. Father Fine and I've, I've got some pet passages as of late. John 17 is such an incredible passage of Scripture. I, I know I say this every time I read it, or, or a portion of it. If you're not spending some time in John 17 or haven't done that, you need to do this. This is Jesus' last prayer before he is crucified with uh, he, he's in the upper room here and he's with his disciples and praying. And he's praying for the disciples in his immediate presence and he's praying for us today, the people in the church that would come to faith. And there's this interesting transition in how that happens in verses uh, 18 and 19. So we're going to read 18, 19, and 20, okay? Um, I think those are the right verses. Yes. So verse 18 as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. That them is his immediate disciples, okay? Now, verse 19. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So, so here's the connection. Verse 20 is the, the connecting verse that transitions from the, the Old Testament saints to, uh, or I'm sorry, the 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 saints and the disciples in Jesus' day to us, okay? And what he's saying, now this is where it gets really interesting. When Jesus says, and the, the ESV translates it, um, I consecrate myself, that um, they also may be sanctified in truth. The word consecrate and sanctify in the Greek are the exact same word. So there's a question that's raised, because I know why I need to be sanctified. I know why you need to be sanctified, because none of us are perfect, Right? But why would Jesus have to be sanctified? So, so here's the, the issue. The rub or the word um, is not really meaning the same thing for Jesus because it has that, and I like the, the ESV translation for this reason, it means to consecrate. It means that he set himself apart for this work. So let me describe that for just a minute. That work is Jesus saying, that he has done everything that he needs to do to accomplish salvation. So I want to I read what I, I've written because I think this has captured some of the best thoughts. It says, if Jesus says, all that we, he and the Father and the Spirit, had set out before the foundation of the world is what Ephesians 1 tells us. To, to save people from sin. All that we had set out to do before the foundation of the world is now being done by me. I'm, I'm doing it in completion. I'm going to pay the penalty for sin. I'm going to take upon me the curse. I'm going to remove the guilt and shame. I'm going to bring redemption to those who respond in faith. I'm going to transform them into my likeness through this work. My consecration leads to their sanctification as they share in my life and we have communion with them. And then he says, as, as if he says this, there is nothing that I have withheld for them. Now think about that for just a minute. Because Christ has set himself apart, he withholds nothing. That, that's why the picture of the cup, when, when he's bearing the wrath and pouring out his blood, he is enduring it all. There's nothing withheld by Christ. 
what, when we think about that, I know it's a, kind of like, a, oh, fact, great. That's, that's easy for us to, to intellectually, mentally, cognitively digest. But do we do it in faithfulness? Do we do it emotionally? Do, do we do it spiritually? Do, do we do it as living sacrifices? See, see that's the difference. It's not just about our mental state, because guess what? Do you think the demons know that he did all that, that he consecrated himself? Absolutely. Do you think a lost person can know those things? Absolutely. But it does not transform them. It means that we have to come into a relationship with Christ to be transformed by by those truths. It's not just about the mental ascent. We have to come respond and surrender in faith, faithfulness, in faith to his work, and then live that out because of who we are in Christ. So, so now think back to Ephesians 1 as I was talking about these things. How many times did it say in Christ? Let's look back. First um, is in verse 1, they're faithful in Christ Jesus. And then in verse 3, we're blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing. And then if we go on... Um, it, it, it continues, because I read in verse 6, in the beloved, at the end of verse 6. So there's those number of times. The point is that we have to live these things out in Christ. Now, let me read a lengthy quote here. And I apologize for this, but it's so good that I just don't want to even butcher it, okay? So this is Charles Spurgeon, okay? Prince of Preachers is what he was called. I want you to hear these things that he says. But did you notice the word all? I must bring that out clearly. I must turn the microscope on it. I love that picture. Who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings. Surely Paul means that we have not a spiritual blessing which God did not give. We have never earned one. We can never create one. All spiritual blessings come from the Father. He has really given us, he has really given us all spiritual blessings. I have not received them, says one. Well, that's your own fault. He hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in Christ. I love that. Don't think that you haven't received any. You have. You just haven't figured out how to understand it. He says this, and, and this is where I love what, what Spurgeon describes. He says, a new heart. Here are the spiritual blessings, okay? A new heart, a tender conscience, a submissive will, faith, hope, love, patience. We have all of these in Christ. You, you getting these? Here are the spiritual blessings that we have. He keeps going. Regeneration, justification, adoption, sanctification, perfection, all are in Christ. Now listen here carefully because I think this is convicting. If we do not take them out, it is the fault of our palsied hand that has not strength enough to grasp them. But he's given us all spiritual blessings in Christ. We just need to exercise it. We need to reach in and say, these are in the coat pocket, so to speak. These are all of ours. Let me exercise them. He continues, whenever you read your Bible and see a great promise, do not hesitate to claim it. He hath given us all spiritual blessings in Christ. I am afraid, says one, that I should be presuming if I took some of the promises. He hath given us all spiritual blessings in Christ. Maya, thanks. You are in your father's house right? As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. You're in your father's house. When you're in your house, what do you get? You get to go to the refrigerator for free. There's no questions asked. 
You might ask, hey, do I have permission? And at this point, you have this structure for a later meal. Don't do that. Go get something else. But you have freedom, right? There's right boundaries, but we have the freedoms. Because when we're in the Father's house, He's given us all spiritual blessings. They're ours. We ought not be ashamed to ask for them or to employ them. You cannot steal. For your Father says, help yourself to what you like. He's made over His whole estate of spiritual wealth to every believing child of His. Wherefore, take freely, and you will, by doing so, get this, glorify God. See, when we take advantage rightly of the blessings that God has given us to pursue Him with love and hope, and when we're at peace with one another, and we respond to the regeneration, regenerating work and sanctifying work of the Spirit, He is calling us to do those things. And when we do those things rightly, when we love Him, which we've just finished, and love one another, what do we do? We glorify God. What is man's chief end? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. See, when we operate in these spiritual blessings, every one which is ours, we glorify God. So he finishes, Spurgeon finishes, he hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in Christ. All spiritual blessings in Christ. Folks, our identity is that we don't lack one. Now, I want to make a, a statement here, and I hope this is clear, okay? Do you realize that when you are saved, God has established a purpose for you that's different than what you had before, okay? You have a new purpose, and that purpose is sustained by His call upon your life. And it's empowered provisionally and positionally by these blessings. Live it out. Live it out. It's a significant step towards something great. And he is desiring to do something beautiful and good in and through you as you bear the message of the hope of the gospel. And, and let me kind of bring this down to a little nutshell right here, point at the tip of the arrow. If 2020 has not taught us anything, it ought to taught us this. We don't know what to expect about the temporal, about anything on this earth. Are we going to wear masks tomorrow? Is school going to be canceled in nine weeks or before that? Are we going to have college football? What's going to happen with elections? Uh, do you, you know, the list of things could go on and on and on, right? We don't know what the temporal holds. What this world is going to hold tomorrow or the next day or the next month. But in Christ, every spiritual blessing is ours in the heavenly places. Because where is Christ right now? He's in heaven. But he's in heaven and the work is complete. And he's completing it in us in the time frame. We're not done. That's why he's sanctifying us. But we just walk in those spiritual blessings continually. And it's not about the temporal. It's about honoring God with our lives because of who we are in Christ. So let me wrap with a couple thoughts this morning. First of all, I want to ask you in just a series of questions to make you think and, and uh, you know, relate to the, to the Lord this morning. First of all, how are you or how have you responded to God's covenant of grace in your life? See, I, I dare say that you know someone close to you. There might be somebody watching on Facebook this morning. Uh, there, there might be one of you sitting here that 
has heard all these kind of truths through your life. Because that was me. I, I, I knew the facts of the gospel. I, I, I was, you know, the demons know the facts. But I never responded to the covenant of grace and the good news of the gospel by surrendering my heart to Christ. And if that's you today, I want to encourage you, surrender. Surrender your life to Christ. If he is calling you, the Holy Spirit is tapping on you, so to speak. You, just, you know that he is seeking you out. See, see in, G, in John 3, Jesus was talking to Nicodemus. He says, the wind blows where it will. You see the fruit and the evidence of it. That's the way the Holy Spirit works. For some of you, the, the Holy Spirit is blowing, and you're going, I, I'm feeling that. Can I just encourage you? Just confess Jesus as Lord. Respond to the truth of the gospel. And how we would encourage you to do that with us in our church is to reach out to someone and just get a little bit of counseling about it. It doesn't take about five or ten minutes of time for us to talk through those things with you. If it's more complicated because of life circumstances and stuff, we'll take the time with you. But we want to make sure that you understand what it means to be a follower of Christ. For us as believers that have responded to that uh, and we've surrendered to that good news, the truth is, though, there's times that we still resist the grace of God. We, we sin, we struggle with that because of the old new nature, and we resist God's grace in our lives. And we get hung up on the guilt and the shame that sin still produces in us. Can I encourage you, just repent again. Go, go back and, and just, if you will, rest in who you are in Christ and the, the covenant of grace. Call sin, sin. I'm not minimizing that. We're not to continue in sin so that grace may increase. That's what Paul writes in Romans 6. By no means, he says. But we should say, hey, that's sin. I am changing my ways. I'm going to repent and I'm going to walk in holiness. And I'm going to experience what it means to walk in Christ. I, I, for time's sake, I didn't go into this, but I'll just encourage you, if you're struggling in that area, go back and read John 15, where Jesus talks about the importance of abiding in him and us and him abiding in us. This, this co-relationship, okay? It's a great imagery. Go back to those things. So let me ask you this, second question. Maybe you're here today and you have gotten caught up in the temporal things. And you go, you know, Matt, I, I get what you're, you're saying with that. The, the, the here and now, circumstances have been overwhelming me. And I'm not finding freedom. Can I just encourage you? Confess that to the Lord and say, I've been relying on these things rather than on you. Get that right with him. So if we do, and the last thing I want to encourage you to do, if we do, if we will get that right and abide in Christ and walk in every spiritual blessing, we will be able to make a difference in the lives of people around us because we're not living for the temporal, we're living for the eternal. And so I want to offer this to you as well. If you know someone that is not a believer, and you want to pray for them this morning, I want to encourage you to do something as a way of just a symbol to the Lord of your surrender and your obedience to go to them, to be the one that bears the good news, that, that, has, the, the, that has beautiful feet, that takes them the good news. Would you just go over here to my left, your right, 
to the cross and just pray for them. And just pray simply, Lord, I pray that you would reveal to them the, the heart of the gospel, the beauty of the good news of Jesus Christ, that you would do work and draw them to Christ. So I want us to, to spend a minute in prayer, and we're just going to do that. It's going to just be a minute. We're not going to labor long at this, but I want you to, to respond to the Lord through this message, okay? So let's bow together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the grace that we have been shown through Jesus Christ. This plan that you instilled before the foundation of the world that was enacted by Jesus in the fullness of time and the spirit that continues to impact us today. Lord, you have blessed us as your children with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And this morning, we rejoice in that. Lord, let that be what gives us full assurance, as the writer of Hebrews says, so that we would have a different worldview than, than that of the world, that it would be biblical, that we would be salt and light, that we would be people that do have beautiful feet that take the good news to, to other people that are lost and hopeless. And Lord, for that, there's two things I think it does. One is we abide rightly in you with, with these truths. And Lord, we then are effective. So, so Lord, sanctify us. Thank you that you're not done. So as you have given us everything we need, Lord, may we continue to, to work that out. May we continue to be uh, engaged in that sanctification so that we are really who we are in Christ, saints and faithful in Christ Jesus. So, Father, I thank you for this morning as we uh, stand and do a reprise of the service, Lord, uh, of one of the songs. I pray that this would be a reminder again to, to your faithfulness and our gratitude to you for all that we have in Christ. We honor you in Jesus' name. Amen.